All right, well, good morning. We're so glad that you're here to worship the Lord with us today in this place. God is good, amen? Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 2. And uh, also, if you'd like to uh, meander over to Hebrews chapter 4, you can put a, a bookmark or a little piece of paper there. We'll come to that in just a little bit. Genesis chapter 2, we're considering in these weeks the foundations of our faith and looking at some very important things from these opening chapters. You know, two uh, rambunctious young boys had upset their mother terribly and so they decided they needed to make amends, so they went to the local flower shop to spend their meager savings to buy flowers for their mom. And uh, they priced all the different things and looked around at all the beautiful colors and, and uh, finally settled basically on what they could afford to take them home. And they did that. They bought them, took them home to their mother and presented them to her. And of course, like any mother, she was very pleased at what they had done at their uh, peace offering. Uh, but the boys seemed a little bit disappointed. And uh, so she asked them, well, what's wrong? And they said, oh, Mom, there was this really big round bouquet that we wanted to get you, but we couldn't afford it. It was this big, and they had a big shiny ribbon across the front, and it said, rest in peace. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as a parent, you can appreciate what you think sometimes your kids are going to drive you to, right? And and I tell that story to say that one wonders if it's not possible that the Christian church, many Christians, are like those two boys. And the only idea we have about how to find lasting peace involves a funeral. But I don't think that's true biblically. I think there is peace and rest available to us before the grave, certainly beyond it. Theologian Gerhard Van Rad said this, rest is the most overlooked benefit of salvation found in the scriptures. Hear that again. Rest is the most overlooked benefit of salvation or redemption that we find in the scriptures. And today, we're going to uh, take a look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the seventh day of creation, and we're going to consider God's rest. God's rest. Before I read it, you know, I have to say, it's, it's, maybe it's irony. I don't know what it is. But, uh, you know, anytime I'm about to preach, let's say, a sermon on something like patience, I will have just blown my fuse. <laughs> and, uh, and maybe it's just the Lord's goodness to say, here's something you're missing. And I would just say to you, as I come to preach a sermon on rest, I'm not specifically talking about my rest, because I don't rest very well often. We're talking about God's rest. And, and I personally have been benefited greatly from this this week, and just thinking about when uh, there is uh, a storm in my own life and heart, maybe I'm not sleeping well, maybe I'm extremely busy, or whatever it is, and I come to this scripture and I say, you know, there is a place of rest for us as Christians. And so I've been helped and I hope you will be too. Uh, though I'm not very much at rest with this sermon either because I didn't really finish it. So we're going to see how this thing uh, lands. But let's read Genesis 2 verses 1 through 3. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. 
we begin by considering just the naked fact that God rested on the seventh day of creation. So we've been through, we didn't take them individually and look at everything of each day, but we've been through the first six days of the creation week and we come to the seventh day and God rested on that day. Simple enough, right? Simple enough that we think, you know, after a long six days, you know, if you create everything, surely and after six days you would deserve a rest and God rested. If you've ever had a long and difficult week, you really look forward to that, don't you? A day when you can unwind, a day where you can come in and have some quiet and have some rest. But listen to this. God is not human. He's not frail. He's not weak. Why did God rest? That's a great question as we consider this passage. Why did God on the seventh day rest? Did he need to is the question that I ask. Certainly not. It wasn't as if after six days of heaving the stars and the sun and the moon and moving the waters and bringing up the land and and separating the upper waters from the lower waters. It's not like God was pooped out, as we would say. His strength was not drained. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. His power knows no bounds. He was not mentally taxed and spent, emotionally Overloaded. It wasn't that, I don't think. He was not sleepy from working these long shifts because he had woken up early and gone to bed late. The Bible says the Lord never sleeps and never slumbers. God doesn't need sleep and rest in the way that we do. So it is interesting that we come to this passage about origins of everything and it says that God creates everything that is in six days and you would think good work God that's the end of it but no there's a seventh day there's a seventh day mentioned here why I I did what we all do sometimes you have a question you say I wonder what everyone says about that and I googled why are there seven days in a week Have you ever thought about that? Why are there seven days in a week? Well, you get all these things historians say, well, uh, you know, it originated back in in ancient Mesopotamia or Babylon or the Middle East. And and these people that looked up in the uh, stars in the skies, they looked up and they found seven interesting heavenly bodies. And so they thought that was a significance and, and they gave seven days in a week. Some would say, well, you know, the Romans had eight days. Some have had, in societies, have had ten days. But why do we, pretty much now, it's universal, account our time with seven days? Well, I think the answer is because of Genesis, because that is the pattern that God has established here. You know, in the creation account, something for us to think about is, I don't know if this is very profound. Sometimes I have these thoughts. I think they're profound, and they're really just pretty simple and basic. But, uh, you know, I was thinking about God did not just create matter and stuff, but also we see that he's creating time, one of the important dimensions of life. God is creating. He's establishing bounds of time, right? God sets the universe in order, and there is this solar system, and we're familiar with that, right? The solar system, and, and here are the planets making their loop around the sun, and for the earth, it's what, 365 days, establishing this idea of the year as we know it. 
He establishes the rotation of the earth on its axis to expose the sun and then move away from the sun, establishing or marking a 24-hour day and night. So there is this orbit, there is this rotation on the axis, but what about this intermediate span of time whereby we mark things, we live our lives largely in this way, a week. It's, it's between a day, of course, and a month. Why not six? Why not ten? Is, and so you read about this and people go, yeah, seven doesn't, I mean, it's, it's, it's good. It's about as good as anything. You know, nothing really divides nicely into all of these other numbers. But God does this thing. It's a bit of an unexpected climax to the creation. Because, listen to this. Now, what you should be thinking about is that God created this day, this space, this time, specifically for a purpose. We think about when we hear God rested or, hey, you need to rest, we think about rest is nothing. It's the absence of doing something good, right? That's what we think. We're not being productive. We're stopping from being productive. We think about it as emptiness or vacating, but instead I think what we should think about is that the Sabbath is the space that God creates or this time, if you will, and marks it off. And says there's a purpose for that. There's a purpose. It's not just doing nothing. It's not just emptiness. So let's shift our thinking. You know, the sun is real. The moon is real. The earth and its orbits and rotations, real. Vegetation, plants, all the things God has made. The seas and the sky. All of those things are very real things. Listen, folks. The Sabbath rest is a real thing. A real thing that we should think about, not just the absence of something. I I read an interesting quote. I think it was D.A. Carson. He said, we as evangelical Christians have forgotten this, that rest is just as vital to human survival as is food, water, and sex. We think about propagating the species and staying alive. He says, rest is just as vital. And so here is this idea that God sets this pattern. He rests. It doesn't actually say anything here in this passage about what we're supposed to do with that other than mark the notion that God rested from his work on this seventh day. So let's consider God rested on the seventh day. Let's see the goodness and think about the goodness. What is the good purpose that God gives us by showing us that he took a seventh day of rest. If he's not taking a nap and recouping or sleeping in or regaining his strength, what is he doing? Well, I think some help is given to us when it says that on this day, God hallows it. He, he, he consecrates it. He sets it apart. He marks it off for a specific purpose and he blesses it. So God puts his blessing. It's a a positive thing, a proactive thing. He puts his blessing and he puts a boundary and he marks off this day set apart for something very special. What is that special thing? What I think it is, now, now listen, there are various ways that we can understand God's rest. There's a lot of definitions for rest and we'll come to that. But I think that God is, on that seventh day, it's not just that he's checked out. He's celebrating and he's enjoying all of the good that he has created. He's celebrating the goodness of the things of the previous six days. He's delighting. He's being happy in those things, setting apart a span to just be glad and take pleasure 
and the good things. For all of the good of work and accomplishment, we sometimes forget to sit back and appreciate and enjoy and celebrate the accomplishments. And that's so vital to life. It's, it's something that God does. He ceases from his work. You know, I think it's saying that's complete. I pretty much got it all in order. It's complete. He finishes. He ceases from his work. But it's more than ceasing from work, I think. It's celebrating, enjoying, and delighting in the good. And so on the Sabbath, that's a verb. The Sabbath can be a verb or a noun. He rests. And there's a range of meaning. We're thinking today about rest. What is rest? What do you think rest is? What's the first word that comes to your mind when I say you need to rest? Nap, sleep, sit down, recliner, right? What else? What else do you think about when you just hear the word rest? Chill, someone said. I like that. Hmm? Okay, calm. What's the opposite of rest? No, that's interesting. I'm not sure that fully gets it. Though it is here that God ceases from his work, but but he's finished with it. We think of rest as being the opposite of work. So I begin to to dig around and see how various Christians and and look through uh, Bible dictionaries and all of that kind of thing. But, But again, I think it's helpful to think about what is the opposite of rest. Well, I think it's restlessness. It's being restless. What does that mean? Well, we're burdened, we're taxed, we're weighted down, we have responsibilities, we have things that are a burden, maybe can even be enslaved. We're worried, we're toiling, could be discontentment, feeling like there is something out there that I haven't grabbed hold of or done. All of those are the opposite of rest. And so when we come to rest, we think about, it can speak about relaxing. How many of y'all, you got your best lawn chair here today, right? <laughs> You're like, if I'm going to catch a nap, I'm going to do it in my best chair, right? Relaxing, finding joy. Because I know that when many of you, you say, I say, what'd you do this weekend? Man, we had a great weekend. It was very restful. Well, what'd you do? Well, we hooked onto a camper and our fishing boat and we gathered all this stuff. You worked harder than you work at work. Sometimes to rest, right? It's, it's going and enjoying Some things that maybe you don't get to every day. If you think about rest, it can speak about security, about freedom, freedom from nuisance, freedom from the daily burdens, freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety, and the day-to-day things that are weighing us down. The goodness, there is goodness in a seventh day of rest according to God's pattern. One commentary said this, The Sabbath day is a prominent motif or theme throughout the Bible. Before sin entered the world, it represents the perfection of creation, its completion, its sanctification, and it being at rest. After the fall, this sanctified rest became a goal to be sought. So in other words, you know what's interesting is, on all of the other days, it says then there was evening and there was morning the first day and the second day and third and fourth, fifth and sixth. But on the seventh day... There is no evening and morning. And I wonder if it's not the case that really, after God has created all these things, including humanity, that the static state, the the way things should have been, would have been continued to be in 
this place of contentment and rest and peace and joy and all that God has created. I actually, that's what I think. I think the Sabbath or the Sabbath day, this Sabbath rest was meant to be the state of affairs for everything from then on out. But the fall happened. And so all of a sudden, man and woman are pushed out from this place and from the very presence of the one who is at rest and is at peace from God himself. And, and, and part of what comes with that is what? You will toil by the sweat of your brow. So all of a sudden, you see, the man and the woman, they already have work to do. And we're going to come back to this in a, a future message about work and what we're created for. But they're given work before the fall, but the loss of rest in it and peace and joy in it comes with sin. And so there is this toil. And then with the birth of children, there is this great pain that comes with what should otherwise and is otherwise normally a great and joyful thing. So the fall and sin and the curse push humanity out. And not only them, then all of creation begins to groan under the curse. Creation itself is not at rest, is not at a Sabbath rest, which is what God has intended. So things are broken. And they're messed up. And there is not the peace that God knew and intended in the seventh day. And you know what? Ever since, man and woman have been trying to find rest and peace in various ways. Some actually do it through more work and more toil. Some do it through shirking work. There's all kinds of ways. Some do it through religion. There's all kinds of ways that we want to come back into. And we try to find that thing that God intended for us. And our hearts, I'll tell you, one of the great signs that the Bible is true and all of this that we're talking about is true, it's just this longing for in the human heart and life to find this ultimate rest and peace that God had and has in himself. So man is trying to find that. Are you at peace today? Are you at rest in your life? Do you have days of rest that bring you back into that realm of God's rest? You see what God does in the rest of the Bible once this rest is lost for people. Redemptive history is God opening a door saying come back into my rest. And he does it through various redemptive covenants and things. <coughs> the old covenant. We're in the new covenant. But it's the same goal. It's to come back into the rest of God. The seventh day's rest. That's where we thrive. That's what we long for. We're going to talk about in just a moment as we finish up. We're going to talk about how to do that. To enter into God's rest. And that's what I want to think with you about in this final point is entering in to God's rest personally. Personally entering into the Sabbath. Now, Christians are divided over, you know, the Sabbath and rest. There's the Sabbatarian Christians who believe that, no, it is still a command that Christians, just like the Jews, when they're given that uh, fourth commandment, are to observe a day that is set aside hallowed, sacred, 
different. We don't do, you know, all the entertaining things. We don't do all this as a day for God. Those are Sabbatarians. Some do it on Saturday still. I've got a great friend or a good friend who uh, is, is a, a Sabbatarian, and they worship on Saturday because they, that is the Sabbath day. And then most of the church, you know, we set aside the first day. The Lord's Day is a day set aside because of the resurrection some treat that as a totally different day, and they, they cease from all of their other things. You know, Jesus got himself in quite a bit of trouble with the religious leaders over the Sabbath observance, didn't he? Because they had all these rules and things that they expected that we should do because of the Sabbath. And Jesus teaches, you know, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man, for the good all right, so wherever you land, here's what I would say to you. We long for and we need to and we must enter into God's rest. And it's probably not going to come just by some strict observance and rules and things like that. In fact, it won't. It won't. It will come through the person of Jesus Christ. But here's what I want to say to you today. Humans thrive and flourish where there is rest. A guy named Frederick Taylor was managing a steel mill back in the late 1800s. And he was applying scientific principles and observation and experiments to the idea of human productivity. You know, before they had cranes and all of these things, that large steel mill, everything was loaded onto, you know, trains or whatever it was by human hands and by the sweat and the toil and the power of men's backs. And what he found was that the workers thrived where there was continual intervals of rest. In fact, where he ended up landing is every 12 minutes, if he would let the workers that loaded that steel take a three-minute break, their productivity went from being able to load 12 tons of steel per day to 47 tons. They work 12, they're off three. I like that, don't you? Coffee break every 12 minutes. That's actually where that idea came from in the workplace. Where there was just this expected interval of rest ever so often. Man, almost four times increase in productivity by that. And you think, man, they, they lost those three minutes every 12 minutes or every 15 minutes. Productivity increased because humans need, we must have rest. Rest for our bodies, our minds, our spirits, our souls. So we need to shift our thinking and we need to embrace rest. We must have it. We must have it. The same is true in our spiritual lives. You know, you will never find rest, my friend, apart from God. You'll never find the rest and the peace that your soul longs for in this world apart from God. Now, God created this world. He intended it to be a certain way, but the world is fractured and it's broken and people are haywire and we're messed up in all kinds of ways. And we spend all of our time trying to toil around to find that rest in other places. And let me just say, hey, go to the source of joy and happiness and delight and peace. And that is to God himself. Because you will not be well. It will not be well with your soul you are separated from God. The problem is we can't attain the Sabbath day's rest apart from entering into it. Hebrews chapter 4. 
If you found your way there, we'll just read a, a quick couple of verses and wrap this thing up. God is the creator of all we are not. We can't fight our way back to the place that was lost. Only God can invite us in. We need, know that we will benefit, benefit from the rest that God gives. And we need to lay aside our human works and religion and just walk through the door that God gives us to enter into the rest that our souls need. But Hebrews 3 and 4, those two chapters are the biggest explanation or expounding of this idea of entering into the Sabbath rest. We're only going to look at verses 1 through 7. Therefore, this is talking to people, you know, Jews, Hebrews who had come into the church. And what he says is, therefore let us fear while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have good news preached to us, just as they, that is the Israelites in the wilderness, also did. But the word they heard did not profit them because it wasn't united by faith in those who heard. For we have believed, we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in that passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as it's been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. A very confusing passage, but here's what he's saying. He's saying in the wilderness, the Israelites who were brought out of slavery, brought out of slavery of Egypt, were invited into God's rest. And they were going to the promised land, but they did not have faith. They did not have faith that produced obedience, and so they fell in the wilderness, and they did not enter God's rest, though they were so close. They were with the people who would enter in. They failed to enter God's Sabbath rest. And he says, and later, David would say, he would call it today, you should not fail to enter God's rest. All of that is to say this, God is inviting you today to enter into his Sabbath rest and peace and joy and delight. And it's only found in him, but you must enter into it. How do I enter into that seventh day's rest? That's the question. Well, Jesus came among Jewish people who were just like those in the wilderness. They had all the laws. They had all the outward observance, but they did not believe God. They were not of faith. They were trying to use politics and religion to get peace. And Jesus says, that's not going to give you peace. And Jesus comes, listen to this, and he says to the people, all of you, every one of you who are weary, and heavy laden if you are burdened and anxious and fearful and you are not in the rest of God here's, here, here you go here's what he says come to me come to me I'm gentle and I'm humble of heart and I will give you rest for your souls you see finding rest is coming to the person of Jesus Christ coming to the father through Jesus his son and the way Jesus ultimately gives us rest, he does it in a lot of ways. He gives his Holy Spirit. But you know, one of the key things he does, he goes to the cross and he takes the penalty of our sin. He 
appeases the wrath of God so that our consciences can be clean. One of the reasons we don't have peace is because we have guilt in our lives over sin and wrongdoings. And Jesus comes and he abolishes. He takes away all of our sins by taking them on his body. So he says, yoke up with me. Put my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You'll have rest with me. How do you enter into God's rest? Here's the clearest thing I can say to you. By faith in Jesus Christ. By stop, by stopping your religious works and trying to work for your salvation. You can never be good enough. You can never do enough. Repent of that and simply believe. It is not of works that you're saved. It's by faith. It's a gift of God's grace. You take hold of it by believing. That's the clearest thing that the Bible says. The problem was for Adam and Eve, they did not believe God. So they came out from under his peace. And to enter back in, it's to come through that same door. It's the door of faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And all of the promises of God, they are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. They will be yours. Are you weary and burdened? You know, there may be some people here today, and one of the reasons you're weary and burdened, you're, you're saved, you're genuinely born again, but you've lost sight of the joy and the peace and the pleasure of God. You're overworked, you're overtoiled, and you need to lay some things down. You may need to just cast your cares. Whatever's burdening you today, cast your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you. Lay hold of that promise and do it. You know, to enter in is to willingly walk through a place. It's to say, I need to be in there and walk into it. Sometimes we're, as Christians, we're so full of head knowledge, but we're not doing what we know. We're not obeying what God has called us to obey. True faith is the heart of finding rest in Jesus. One lady wrote, every night I say my prayers, and then I remember that God is always watching, so I sleep peacefully. After all, there is no need for us both to stay awake. This was a lady who in the middle of a war in England, when everybody was scampering and scurrying and worried, she had tremendous peace. And someone asked her, what is the secret of your peace? It's resting in the knowledge that God is on his throne. Giving my burdens to him and trusting him as the sovereign creator of the universe, as my master and Lord. Trust him. Cast your cares upon him. Come in to his rest today. Would you bow with me as we have just a moment of invitation. And in this time, I would just say whatever burden you're carrying, if you know full on, full out, undoubtedly you are not at peace. Your soul and your mind and your body and your emotions are anxious and fearful. What are you holding on to? What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in your own cleverness, your ability to maneuver, to work harder? To take on a second or third job? What are, you, what are you trusting in? Trust in God, your creator. Trust in Jesus, your Lord and master.
And this time, I just want to open up this place for prayer. To cast your cares upon the Lord. If you want to come up here to the front, you can do that. If you want to pray with somebody, you can do that. If you want to just cry out to the Lord right where you sit. Tell him that you want peace and rest that Jesus gives. Enter into rest today. Lord, today, by even my own admission at the beginning of this, my heart is, is heavy and stirred and, and burdened, and I know many in here. And I know many all across our land, Lord, are living in a day and age where there's continually a new thing, new information, things coming at us so fast that we can just hardly never have downtime. Even our ideas of what rest and relaxation are become a toil and a burden. So today in this place, God, we see you in that seventh day, ceasing from your toil to, to just be, to enjoy, to take pleasure in your creation. And we see you in that way. And in that we know that you take pleasure even in flawed and sinful people like us. That you're not sorry that you created this world and humans who fell. But that you know everything, every detail, and you're working out all things for the good of those who love you. We cling to that today. And in your seventh rest, you look down upon your people, your church. You look down here in Valley Springs, Arkansas, we trust. And you see us. And you know every hair of our head. You know every concern and care. You know every need that we have. You're not surprised. You're not grossed out. You're not caught off guard. So, Lord, we cast these things upon you. We say, this is my helpless estate. And we take refuge in you. God, would you minister by your spirit in this place right now to bring peace, to bring a sense of rest, resting in you, in your salvation, in your goodness, in your power, in your wisdom, not in our own. God, would you help us in this country as we struggle and we fight against, not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and against deception and things that are taking people captive. Lord, we ask that you would empower us, make us courageous, help us to fight the spiritual battles in spiritual ways and to trust you, to trust you in the midst of all of that. Help us today, Lord. Give us peace. Take our burdens. Help us to walk by faith in Jesus, our Savior. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.